try to do things my own way. I was lost, so helpless, spinning out of control. But you rescued me and saved my wretched soul. You are my savior. I love you, Jesus. You are my savior, Jesus. I love you so. I love you so. I love you so. I love you, love you, love you. Sin and Satan held me captive as their slave. No one. To help this sinner, no one who could save. Desperation filled me, no answers came my way. But you showed me mercy and wiped my sins away. You are my savior. I love you, Jesus. You are my savior, Jesus. I love you so. I love you so. I love you so for suffering and dying for me. Your cross of pain has now set me free. I thank you, Lord. For paying the price for every sin by your love sacrifice.
Couldn't see around my stomach or something. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Good evening. Can you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1530? 
Romans chapter 15, verse 30. We're in the final paragraph of Romans 15, and uh, we're going to look at, uh, begin to look at verse 31 this evening. We're going to see one of the requests that Paul makes. Of the, he makes three prayer requests of the Roman believers, and we're going to note the first one this evening. And it talks about deliverance from one's enemies. And, uh, you know, we've talked in the past about uh, God's deliverance. That's what salvation is all about. But, uh, you know, God delivers us through prayer. And he'll deliver us. Remember our three great enemies. We have the sin nature, Satan, and his cosmic system. And the cross of Christ has delivered us. Our union and identification with Christ and his death and resurrection has delivered us from those three great enemies. Now, when we're in life, too, also when we appropriate by faith the teaching of the word of God that we've crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with Christ, we experience that deliverance in time. But there's also uh, people that are being used by the kingdom of darkness. It could be uh, unbelievers and sometimes even believers. Where, you know, uh, for instance, in Paul, he had uh, people who were unsaved, that were Jewish, his fellow Jewish countrymen that had rejected Christ as Savior, and they were seeking to kill him. And we're going to see that if it wasn't for the prayers of the Roman believers and other believers, where Paul solicited their prayers, uh, Paul would have probably died. As we've seen, God rules the world through the prayers of his saints. That's one of the ways he does it. And uh, we're going to see that in action here. We're going to be in, not only in Romans fifteen thirty one, but we're also going to go to the book of Acts quite a bit this evening because the book of Acts gives us uh, information about this, this uh, third missionary journey to Jerusalem to deliver this uh, contribution, this uh, monetary and material gift to the, the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And uh, Paul, remember, delivered that. And so we're going to see that uh, they, this, he did get there safely. Uh, he was delivered from his enemies, and he was the gift was received by the, the the church there in Jerusalem. So it went successfully, and of course, prayer was uh, the reason for it. And so we'll see that here this evening. So you should be at Romans 15, verse 30, and let's take a moment of silent prayer as we normally do. Um, if you could also, before we get underway, I just want to keep uh, ask you to keep in prayer. Uh, there's a uh, two two people, two, a couple inquired about uh, our church, and also there's another. Another woman was on, uh, left a message on our phone today, and uh, one is relocating to the Amanas, and the other one is in, in the Norway area somewhere. But I was talking to them on the phone and one on the email. So keep them in prayer that you know the, uh, the enemy wouldn't, uh, that God the Father would, would uh, take away the hindrances that the kingdom of darkness puts up that hinders people from coming to hear, uh, see, hear the teaching of the Word of God here. So uh, if you could do that, that would be greatly appreciated. And of course, keep Don McKinney in your prayers and his recovery from the, uh, the mini-stroke he had there. So uh, without further ado, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another day to study the Bible, to learn about your plan for our lives, to be conformed to the image of your Son, to grow up to be like your Son, Jesus Christ. 
And we thank you for those you brought in here this evening to hear the word of God and those who might be listening on uh, Pal Talk and different parts of this country and the world. And uh, we just uh, thank you for them and also the others that might view this class at a later date or listen to it, uh, whether through the website or CD. And we just pray, Father, this evening that they would receive their necessary spiritual nourishment, that their hearts would be prepared to receive the word of God, that the seed of the word of God to be planted in their souls. And we just pray that it would be watered as well. And we just pray, Father, that you would help us all in the audience to concentrate, to pay strict attention to what the Spirit will be saying to us through the teaching of the Word of God so that they can listen to what the application is. And also, we pray that you would give grace to the communicator, help him to deliver your full counsel this evening in a fashion that would not only minister to your people, but also bring glory to you and your Son, Jesus Christ, so that with one voice we could lift up and glorify you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and praise you for your awesome plan of salvation, our so great salvation. And we just thank you for gracing us out and treating us in a manner that we don't deserve. And pray, we pray for our ministry, that you would help us to persevere as individuals and as a local assembly. And we just pray, Father, that, you would, uh, that all of us would continue to grow in love toward you and each other. Help us to operate in love and, ki- and forgiveness and patience and tolerance of one another, just like you have done so and are doing so and will do so in the future through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Help us to see that we've been treated in grace so that we can turn around and treat others in grace as well in the body of Christ so that we could demonstrate to the entire world, not only here in Iowa, but uh, throughout the state here and in, in our different in our personal periphery here of the church, that we're dis- disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we're not involved in hypocrisy and playing the dog and pony show and the game playing playing church, but that we're serious about our relationship with Jesus Christ, Father. So help us to do that. Help us to bring glory to you and your son as a local assembly, as a corporate unit, and not just as individuals. So, Father, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, in Romans 15.30, we noted last week that Paul requests that the Romans pray for him on the basis of their common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as on the basis of the divine love produced by the Spirit. He then requested, as we saw, that the Romans fight together with him by means of their prayers in the presence of the Father on his behalf. As we saw our Sunday, uh, there's a spiritual conflict that we're involved in. And the more you grow up spiritually, you become more and more sensitive to these things. In fact, uh, when you're you're coming to a face-to-face, hear the word of God. You are more, and this is not a, a knock on... The people on the internet, I know they get, they get their attacks as well, they follow us. But there's something when you're in face-to-face and you're supporting the ministry and you're in, a, in ministries in your geographical location, there's a certain uh, attack that the local assembly uh, has waged against us, against it. Any, any congregation that is teaching the word of God is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Remember, the word of God uh, is, is mightier than the kingdom of darkness uh, and we need to be aware of that. That's our sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So when we're teaching the Word of God or any ministry, just not just ours, but other congregations throughout this country and the world that are teaching the Word of God, that are faithful teaching the Word of God, that aren't involved in the ta- dog and pony show that's out in Christianity today, but they're serious about the Word of God and their relationship to it and are trying to apply it and learn it, those ministries are under attack because the kingdom of darkness wants to stop and suppress the Word of God. So there's a fight that we're all involved in. As we saw, we're to fight. The application as we saw, Paul requested the Romans fight together with him in prayer. And we're going to find out what that was for beginning this evening. 
is the application was you're to pray and pray for me and fight together with me, who I'm your communicator and of the Word of God. So you're to fight together with me in prayer. We're to pull for each other, not fight against each other. And otherwise, remember, Satan knows the principle of, of spiritual combat that's true in the natural realm, that a kingdom divided against itself can never stand. It will fall. So it's, it's Satan tries to divide, seek and conquer, divide and conquer. That way he can and stop the teaching of the Word of God. That way he wins. Because he doesn't want the Word of God out in Iowa, people. And nor does he want it anywhere in this country. So you, the sooner you wake up to that fact and find out that's the case, I think you're going to find out that your prayers are going to be more uh, earnest and you're going to be ser- more serious about your relationship with God. Because there's a lot of things that the enemy would like, that does, and has done in this ministry, and is trying to do now, whether with me personally, or our church as a whole, to try to suppress the teaching of the Word, to get it, to get the Word of God to stop. That's why I said, I prayed, I asked that you would pray for these two, these two individuals, the couple and the other person, that are com- trying to come to hear the Word of God, and want to, are interested in our ministry. And I'm sure there's many other individuals in this area, that are afraid to come to this church, because of whatever reason, because of peer pressure, that they, you know, oh, you're going to that church, and uh, you know, so there's a lot of a lot of pressure out there. Some of you already know about this pressure that keeps people away from hearing the word of God. We need to be aware of that and pray that God would break down those barriers that Satan puts up that are hindering people from hearing the word of God, not just in our ministry in this area, but around the world. So we need to understand that we're in a war, and this is what Paul is when he uses that word. Soon he's uh, uh, this word in. Uh, and uh, when it says strive together in Romans fifteen thirty, strive together with me in prayer, that verb there in the original is talking about fighting together with Paul in prayer. And the application, again, is that we're to fight together with me in prayer uh, so that we can continue to get the word of God out. Now, in verse 31, which we're going to begin this evening to note, Paul requests that he would be rescued from those who were disobedient to the gospel in Judea and that his service for the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem would prove acceptable to the Jewish believers in that city. And then we're going to see later on, on Thursday, we're going to see verse 32, that Paul reveals even another objective he wants them, that he wants them to pray for, namely, that by the Father's will, he would enter into their company with joy and find refreshing rest in their company. So this evening, we're going to begin to note verse 31 and noting the first prayer request. Remember, verse 30 tells us the basis upon, upon on which Paul wants the Roman believers to pray for him. That they share a common relationship with each other. And also, love. God's love. Produced by the Holy Spirit in our lives when we obey the teaching of the Word of God. When we do that, we express, when we pray for each other, we express the love of God in our lives. And so the basis, well, what's the application for our church? The, the one who's, I'm not Paul, but I'm the communicator of the Word of God here. So you have to pray together for me based upon the fact that you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's forever. I'm not your enemy. You're not my enemy. And anybody who tries to tell you that has been deceived by the devil. There's no, the body of Christ is where brothers and sisters in Christ, based upon that relationship that we have, we are to pray for each other. And the other one is that if we love with the love of God, we will pray for each other. If we're listening to the Spirit and not hindering the Spirit, quenching the Spirit, which we're prohibited from doing in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, when we're not grieving the Holy Spirit, when we're bitter toward each other and we have malice toward each other and we're intolerant of each other and impatient with each other and angry with each other, Paul says you're you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 and read the verses after it. 
Because that's when we're grieving the Holy Spirit when we enter into these things. We're to pray for each other. We're to operate in love toward each other based upon the fact that uh, the, the, the ba- on the basis of the fact that we share a common relationship with each other and the love produced by the Spirit, where to pray for myself. And, that go- and that's true of any ch- congregation and their pastor. Now look at Romans 15.30. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ. By our Lord Jesus Christ means on the basis of our common relationship with Jesus Christ. And by the love of the Spirit or the divine love produced by the Spirit... The love of God in our lives. Remember, God's love is different from human love. And that's why a lot of believers fail and they wonder why they mess up and they screw up when it comes to relationships. You can't love uh, with this love. It's a supernatural love. You need the spirit to, uh, to uh, experience this love and to practice it. So when we look at how God, and take on faith, how God treated us when we were his enemies, he sent his son to the cross for us. And he raised us up and seated us with Christ when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. When we see that and accept that by faith, then it gives us the capacity to turn around those in our, in our periphery, whether it's in our church or the unbelievers or our families, because we know that God's forgiven us. We're obligated to forgive each other and to love each other and to pray for each other. It's not just, a, it's, it's an obligation that we have. So he says, now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, we're on the basis of our common relationship with him. And on the basis of the love, the divine love produced by the Spirit, to strive together, as we saw, fight together with me in your prayers to God for me. Why? Here he goes. He tells us why. That I might be rescued from those who were disobedient in Judea. We'll see that in the book of Acts this evening. And that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, look at verse 31 in detail. He says, That I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. That verse is a purpose clause. The purpose for why he wants them to pray for him. Remember, he's requesting that the Roman believers pray for him. Why? Here's this particular phrase, or the word that is cueing us in, that this is a purpose clause, which contains two reasons. Why Paul is requesting that the Romans intercede in prayer on his behalf. Remember, prayer has many, many, there's different aspects of prayer. There's different kinds of, uh, uh, prayer manifests itself in different ways. There's petitions for ourselves. There's the worship of God. There's thanksgiving. That's another uh, aspect of prayer. So worshiping God, thanksgiving, giving thanks to the Father, and also praying for ourselves, but also intercessory prayers. That means we're to pray for each other. You're commanded to. You com- you're commanded to. So we see that this is a, one of the integral parts of prayer. In fact, uh, uh, we've seen, we studied par- prayer in detail. We have a book on it, and the, 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 actually the article on prayer is on the website as well. So the, Paul's purpose here for appealing to the Romans to fight together with him by means of their prayers on behalf of him, was so that he might be rescued from those Jews in Judea who were disobedient to the gospel. And then, as we just noted, not too, uh, we just read, he presents an additional request that they would fight together with him by means of their prayers on, be- on his behalf so that his service to the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem and delivering to them the contribution from the Gentile churches and Macedonia and Achaia would be acceptable to the Jewish saints in that city. So what's the application? If you want to have success in something, pray. That's what one of the reasons... See, Paul's asking for success in his journey to Jerusalem. And that 
came to pass, as we'll say. And we also say that if you want to be delivered from something, you're in a dangerous situation, you're in a bad situation, ask God and he, and he will give it to you. Pray that prayer of faith and he will deliver you. And this is what Paul, Paul's in a very, knows that he's going into a dangerous situation in Jerusalem. We're going to see this evening that the book of Acts records many instances where his own Jewish countrymen were trying to kill him. They tried to assassinate him on many different occasions because they considered him a traitor from, uh, because they, he, he forsook Judaism to follow Jesus of Nazareth, who the Jewish leaders condemned to death and the Romans crucified. So he was considered an enemy of the state and they did not like him. And the, the, the center of Judaism, Jerusalem, was a dangerous place for Paul to be. So he knew that. He wasn't stupid. He wasn't naive. He knew, I go there. And he knew it was the will of the Father that he did go there. He knew that he needed prayer that he might be delivered. As we'll see, he did get delivered. Now, when he says, I may be rescued, the word there in the Greek is the, the aris passive sub- subjunctive form of the verb, ru ioma. Ru ioma means to rescue from danger. Now, listen to me, with the implication that the danger is severe and acute. Now, I don't, you know, some of you might not believe this because, I don't know why, because maybe you're deceived or something, but, you know, the enemy would like to kill Christians. It would like to kill communicators of the word of God. It would like to kill them, okay? They would like to take them out very, very, very simply. If they could, they would. They would wipe out anybody who teaches the word of God, whether it's a pastor or an evangelist. So, as I said before, there's a bullseye on the back of these guys. And anybody who takes part in a ministry that's trying to help the pastor get the word of God out will be under attack. You can count on it. Anybody who's associated with in this ministry that's helping me, you can count on that many times things in your jobs, your families, your businesses, problems that you face are directly retributed to the relationship that you have with the teaching of the word of God in your local church you will be under attack. Thus, you need, to, and I need, to pray for each other, for me, and me for you, and vice versa. We're to pray for each other. We're to fight together, not against each other. And we're to be like a spiritual combat unit. So when he says, I may be rescued, that verb, ru ioma, means to rescue from danger with the implication that the danger is severe and acute. So that's what he said. It is dangerous, it's acute danger that I'm going to face in Jerusalem. How did he know this? Because of his treatment there in the past. He was, uh, he was persecuted there by the Jews. In fact, all of Judea was, was persecuting Paul. Now, this verb means to rescue from a danger or life-threatening situation caused by one's enemies. And it's used of God the Father delivering Paul from physical harm and death at the hands of the unsaved Jews in Judea who threatened his life. Now, it's a good thing as I mentioned before, that he did request this prayer for his personal safety, since after delivering this contribution from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia to the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem, the Roman military had to deliver him from the unsaved Jews in Jerusalem in order to keep them from killing him. Remember in Acts chapter 21, verses 21 through 36, that passage records the riot that ensued when some of the Jews accused Paul of desecrating the temple by bringing a Gentile into the Jewish section of the temple. Acts chapter 21, verses 32 through 37, Paul is, we see that Paul is rescued from a mob, a Jewish mob, by the Roman military, and then he presents his defense to 
the mob. And this is what we see, that this prayer that he requested the Roman believers was instrumental in him being delivered from his enemies in Judea, in, Ju- in Jerusalem. So what does that tell us? God intervenes for us and each other through the prayers of the saints. It, I, I, one of the big things I pray for this ministry is that the people in this ministry would see that how big and dangerous it is to the kingdom of darkness that we pray as a corporate unit. Not as just individuals, but if we, we, we were more dedicated to corporate prayer, we have our corporate prayer meeting on Wednesday evenings after church, if we had more people involved in that, you, we could, you could see that this ministry could grow by leaps and bounds. Because read the book of Acts. When they were involved in prayer, they were teaching the word of God and prayer, corporate prayer. They were together in one place, all of them. And this is one of the four daily disciplines of the early first century church, which turned the world upside down. Uh, 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 adherence to the, Lord, uh, the apostles' teaching and also fellowship, the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, and also corporate prayer. That breaks down the barriers of the enemies of the, of the kingdom of darkness. So prayer, corporate prayer, the Romans' corporate prayer for Paul actually was used by God. It was the instrument that God used to deliver Paul. So God many times, instead of just doing it himself, you know, going in there and just pulling Paul out without any help from us, any prayers from us, he wants us to pray for each other because he's trying to develop character. Could Paul be delivered by the Lord without our prayers? Absolutely. So why is God soliciting our prayers? Because he's trying to develop character in our lives. He's trying to develop things in our lives like dependence upon him that we know that he wants us to know that we can do nothing without him, that he's all sufficient and we're insufficient. You are no, there's no such thing as a self-made man, a self-made woman. Everything you have and I have has been given to us by God, including the bodies and the souls we have. We can do nothing, and the faster we realize that, the more stronger and earnest our prayers will be. So prayer, the corporate prayer that Paul requested from the Roman believers, was instrumental. God used that corporate prayer, and I'm sure Paul asked other people to pray for him as well about this. And that those corporate prayers were God used to deliver Paul from his enemies, the Jewish mob. Now, I want you to hold your place. Go to the book of Acts, please. And go to Acts. Let me tell you what's going to be. Look at Acts chapter 21. Look at verse 1. Acts chapter 21, verse 1. Acts chapter 21, verse 1. Now, Paul's, this is, uh, he's on his way to his, uh, his, his, third, his missionary journey to Jerusalem. Well, remember, with this gift from the Macedonian ch- churches and the Achaean churches, the Gentile, Gentile churches there took up an offering for the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem, which Paul mentions in Romans 15. So, he's, Acts records the deliverance of this gift, this whole trip from Acts 19 through 22, talks about this missionary journey. So, Paul is going to Jerusalem, knowing full well by going into Jerusalem, he's taking his life into his hands. So, but he knows that he can be, he will be delivered by God, and he'll use the prayers of the saints to do that. So, we see that he said goodbye to the, the, you know, the pastors in Ephesus at the 
end of chapter 20, he warns the pastors of false teachers arising among themselves. Some of them would turn against the Christian faith and start teaching false doctrine for whatever reasons that they had. He, so he warns them, and with many tears he departed from them, and now he's sang, sailing on to Miletus, and eventually his ultimate destination is the city of Jerusalem. So look at Acts chapter 21, verse 1. When we part, Luke wrote this. Uh, he was a companion of Paul, Dr. Luke. He wrote, in fact, you should read Acts and Luke together, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts together. They actually are, are together. So he says in Acts 21, 1, when we had departed from them, and at the past is in Ephesus, and had set sail, we ran a straight to, uh, course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a sheep, ship, Crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria, and Syria, remember, is north of Judea, and landed, he says, at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. After, so we, they crossed the Mediterranean, they came south of Cyprus, and then they landed up in Tyre, which is north of Israel today. And after looking up, he says, the, the disciples... We stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Now remember, they're saying it much like Peter said to Jesus when Jesus told him he had to go to the cross. Peter said, don't do it. Don't do it, Lord, because they're gonna, I don't want you to die. Well, the same kind of situation's going on here. The Spirit was telling believers that Paul was going to suffer in Jerusalem, and they misinterpreted it. They were basically telling him, don't go there because we don't want you to get hurt because the Spirit's telling us you're going, to get hurt, you're going to get hurt there. So that's what they're saying, not to set foot in Jerusalem. The Spirit was not, uh, the Spirit wasn't telling them. What it's actually saying is that the Spirit is telling that Paul's going to suffer, but he, the, the Jewish believers, the believers there were interpreting it the wrong way. They were thinking, oh, Paul, we, God doesn't want him to go there. But as we'll see, Jesus gives Paul encouragement when he's there, and we see that Paul, actually it's a, a part of God's plan that God wanted uh, Paul to go to Jerusalem with this gift. Look at verse 5. And when our days there had, were ended, we left and started on our journey, while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we're out of the city. And after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home again. And when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And as we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So Paul's being told by the Spirit to these people, this is what's going to happen. He's preparing Paul for the violence that will be taken against him. And when he heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. See, they loved Paul. It would be like... Uh, well. It'd be like if I said, some people coming up to me and saying, Bill, if you go back to Massachusetts, 
uh, you're going to die in a plane crash if you get on this plane crash. The Holy Spirit is telling us that you're going to die in a plane crash. And so you guys, maybe some of you, will be like going, don't go, don't go. You're going to die in the plane crash. The Holy Spirit's telling you, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get a plane crash. Don't say I died because I, I want to make a point. So you, you're going to be in a plane crash. But the Holy Spirit's also telling me that you're going to live through the plane crash. You're going to walk away. So that's a little analogy. So they're, 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 they, they're concerned about Paul. They love Paul. Okay? So that's why they're saying, oh, the Spirit's saying this. So we don't want you to go there. It's like, again, what Peter did with Jesus. You know, a lot of times believers think it's, if it's God's will for us to not suffer, that's baloney. It's, we're to, it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. Philippians 1, uh, chapter 1, verse, I think it's 29 says that. And so Paul, and, and it was a very great honor that Paul thought of it as being suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ in, his, in the gospel. So, but they're misinterpreting this because they're emotional. Okay, Paul's not emotional like Jesus wasn't emotional. And another reason why, the enemy didn't want Paul to go to Jerusalem because they knew that God had plans for Paul, that God was going to send Paul to Rome and then to Spain. Remember, in Romans 15, verses 22 through 29, Paul was confident that he would get to Spain by way of Rome. So he was, how did he get that confidence? The Holy Spirit told him. So we need to look at everything, put it all together before we say, oh, God didn't want Paul to go to, 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 to Jerusalem because it was definitely something that the Lord wanted. So look at it, it says in verse 13. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, he says, weeping and breaking my heart, emotional. You know, don't be emotional. And it, it was bothering Paul. For I'm, look what he says, for I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got up, got ready, and started on our way up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Manasseh of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. And after, notice they didn't stay at hotels. (laughs) They put, people put up, the Christians put up Paul. In their homes. After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. Now remember, what is Paul bringing with him? That gift from the Macedonian churches and uh, Achaia and Macedonia, the Gentile churches of Macedonia and Achaia. Paul took up an offering, and he was bringing it to the poor saints in Jerusalem. So here he is coming into Jerusalem with this gift. Now look how they received him. It says in verse 17, And after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren, the Christians there, received us gladly. What do you have in his hands? That gift. So they received it. And it says in the verse 18, And the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after he agreed to them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Remember, Paul was a little nervous about his Gentile ministry, how it would be received by the Jews there. And look at it, says in verse 20, they accepted it. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. And I'm sure Paul, the relief on Paul's face was great. Thank you, Lord, for the answered prayer there. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they're all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you were teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to their customs. This is what was told about Paul, the gossip, it wasn't true. 
What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and all will know that there is nothing to the things which have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk according, uh, orderly, keeping the law. The law. Now listen to me. A lot of Christians have, have, have come to the conclusion that see, Paul's getting involved in legalism. He's out of fellowship. But that's not what's happening with Paul. Paul's act, actually, what Paul's doing is he said, remember he says, uh, to the, uh, he, he tries to be all things to all people. He knew that doing this vow doesn't save anybody. What he's doing, and that's why he had Timothy circumcised. Because even though he knew circumcision wasn't going to save Timothy, he did it because he didn't want the Jews to have an excuse not to listen to the gospel. You hear me? He didn't want the Jews to not have an, to have an excuse to not listen to what he had to say. So that's why he did this vow. It's a principle. Hold your place. Uh, look at it says, and for, hold your place. Look at First Corinthians chapter nine. Look at verse nineteen. First Corinthians nine nineteen. See, Paul is doing this vow not because he's involved with legalism, but because he's trying to win the Jews who are unsaved there. That's why he's doing it. So he knows there's nothing. To, he's just doing this to appease them. Not because he's compromising, but because he's trying to give, take away any excuses for them not listening to him. That's why, another reason why he had, remember people say, well, why did he have Timothy circumcised? Because so that the Jews, if they heard that Timothy wasn't circumcised, they would not listen to him. So this way they would listen to him. All the obstacles were put out of the way. It's, a, it's the same thing with Paul with money. Paul never received money from the Corinthians. He'd never take a paycheck from them. Because he knew that they were loved, that they had a problem with money, and he didn't want anybody to have an excuse about uh, to not listen to him because of the issue of money. So he took money out of the way. He did this this kind of thing all the time. Look at First Corinthians nine nineteen. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. That's why he took the vow in Acts chapter twenty. So that why I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. So he's just trying to take away all obstacles that would hinder the Jews from listening to him and teaching the gospel. That's why he took the vow. Now go back over to Acts chapter 20. Look at verse, uh, Acts chapter 21, verse 25. Look at Acts 21, 25. <clears throat> Acts chapter 21, verse 25. Now, look at they say, the, the, the leadership in Jerusalem, what do they say to Paul? But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided, that they, and they're referring to the, what they said in Acts chapter 15, the first church council, that the Gentiles should abstain from meat, sacrifice to idols, and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. Now, why is he saying that? Well, especially with the animals, blood and all that, because they knew that the Gentile believers would have fellowship with Jewish believers, and just what Paul talked about in Romans 14. Don't, the strong, who know they can eat all foods, they have to have consideration for those Jewish believers 
who have a hard time breaking away from the dietary regulations of the law, which they were raised in. Same principle that Paul taught Romans 14 to the Roman believers. Look at verse 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into, why did he do it? Because he's trying to win them. So he went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him. A riot ensued, crying out, and they lie about Paul. Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. He didn't do any such thing. Notice that Paul's being persecuted and lied about. And they put, they're saying that he did certain things and he never did these things. Thus, the, one of the things that goes along with being a communicator of the word of God, you always have people, when they become your enemy or they're enemies of yours, they will take your words and try to twist them around. I remember somebody said to me uh, about something I was teaching, watch out, they might put it, they might put it on uh, YouTube. I said, let, let them put it on YouTube. I don't care. Put it next to the uh, other stuff out there. What do I care what they think? To twist it and everything. People are going to twist. They're going to. They're gonna, if they're against you, they're going to twist what you say. Anyway, you can't control that. So Paul doesn't. So Paul right here is being vilified here. He's being persecuted. Look at verse twenty-nine. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed, they assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. That wasn't the case. Then all the city was provoked. And the people rushed together, taking hold of Paul. They dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. And while they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. At once, and who is going to answer? God was answering the Roman believer's prayer right here in Paul's prayer, right here. Look at it, it says in verse 32. And he uses a heathen to do it. At once, he took along some soldiers and centurions, and he ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. You can just see the picture. Pounding on Paul. Oh, sorry. It's like kids in school. The bullies at school, they beat up a, they're beating up a kid, and the teacher walks in. Everybody stops. That's what the picture you got here. Then look at it says in verse 33. Then the Roman commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another, typical mob. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. So everybody was nailing Paul. He was being surrounded. If somebody was saying something from behind him, someone was on the side of him, in front of him, he was surrounded by his enemies like a pack of dogs. In fact, Paul said in Philippians 3, 2, to beware of the dogs. He's talking about the Judaizers. And these people are Judaizers, and they, they're, they're just like a pack of wild dogs. Dogs in the ancient world were not... They were not like we have today. They were vicious in the city back then. So this is what we got a picture we got going on here. Look at verse 34. But among the crowds, some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered Paul, the Roman commander, to be brought into the barracks, thus saving Paul from getting killed. When he got to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. And for the multitude of the people kept following them, shouting away with him. And as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I say something to, to you? And he said, do you know Greek? 
and then you are not an Egypt, Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. So he thought Paul was a, uh, an insurrectionist. But Paul said, I'm a Jew of Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you, allow me to speak to the people. And then he goes on to talk to the people. But I wanted to show you, he got delivered. Paul asked in Romans 15, 31, that the Roman believers pray for him, that he would be delivered from those who were disobedient in Judea. That we just read took place. So go back to uh, uh, go back to Romans chapter fifteen, verse thirty-one. Now it's interesting. In, uh, the hostility of the unbelieving Jews toward Paul is well documented in the book of Acts. Acts nine twenty-three through twenty-nine. Acts thirteen fourteen through fifty. Acts 14, 19, 17, 5 through 8, 18, 12 through 17, 19, 9, 23 and 23, uh, chapter 20, verse 23. All of these passages and the ones we just read now all tell us how they were so antagonistic to the Apostle Paul, these unbelieving Jews. This is what he was up against and that's why he was requesting the Roman believers to pray for him because he knew his life was at risk. So look at Romans 15, 31. He says, that I might be rescued from those who were disobedient and Judea. From those who were disobedient is a prepositional phrase in the original. We have the ver, a preposition apo, which is translated correctly from. And then we have the articulate genitive uh, participle, substantive participle form of the verb uh, apitheo, which is translated correctly those who are disobedient. Actually, it, it actually should be translated those who are unbelieving, as I'm going to show you in a minute. Now, this word, uh, the stem of this word, apitheo, has the basic meaning of trust. It doesn't mean that this one, it says those who are disobedient, it actually means in the original, those who are unbelieving. And the reason why is the word in the original, apitheo, has the basic meaning of trust. And it's also the basis of the formation uh, with the, the root pist or the verb pistevo, which means to have confidence in, to trust in, and to have faith in. So pistevo is used in God so loved, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you should be saved. The word believed is pistevo. So this word uh, pistevo, the stem of this verb, is related to pistevo, the root of that particular word. So they're related words. So what, uh, we see that pistevo, that root, has to do with faith and confidence or trust in somebody, to have faith in somebody. Now, in, the verb patho is used consist, uh, pitho, excuse me, is used consistently in the Septuagint. That's the LXX. That's what that stands for. What's the Septuagint? The Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. That's the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, the tr- that translation they used in the first century when, uh, in Paul's day. So this verb pitho is consistently used in the Septuagint to translate the Hebrew batak. And what does that mean? It means to trust, put confidence, or inspire trust. And it was selected by the translators of the Septuagint to describe putting one's confidence in God. Now, therefore, in the Greek New Testament, this verb apitheo, its cognate noun apitheia, and its cognate adjective apitheis, do not stand in contrast with the Greek words for obedience but rather they stand in contrast with the words that denote faith. So when it says, what I'm saying is that from those who are disobedient, the word disobedient is talking about having unbelief in Jesus Christ, not uh, disobedience. It's talking about faith because of the words that are used in the Greek New Testament. So a survey of this verb's usage in the Greek New Testament indicates that it was connected to unbelief which demonstrated itself in disobedience to the command found in the gospel of Jesus Christ to believe on him for eternal salvation. Um, there's uh, several passages there. Let me show you one. Look at, uh, for, hold your place, look at First Peter chapter 2. 
Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Yeah, look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Now, I'm going to show you, in this verse, they translate it uh, believe or disbelieve. Okay, apitheo. Instead of disobedient like they do in Romans 15, 30, uh, uh, 1. So the translators had a little difficulty with this word. So look at 1 Peter 2, 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, written to believers, by the way, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Notice that you grow up spiritually by taking in the word of God, which Paul, uh, Peter uh, uh, relates, to, uh, an, uh, the analogy he uses is like milk to newborn babies. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, he says, and coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. And this precious value then is for you who believe and for those who disbelieve. Apitheo. Notice it's the same word. It's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 15, 31 and the translators translate it disobedient. Here, they translate it disbelieved. So they had a little bit of a problem with it. So then he goes on to say, the stone which the builders rejected, speaking of Christ, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rocker of offense. For they stumble because they are apitheo. Same word in Romans fifteen thirty one. They are disobedient to the word and to the, this doom they were also appointed. So disobedient there is talking about unbelief. They, were, they disbelieved the word of God. Now go back to Romans fifteen thirty one, and we'll wrap this up. So God is very, as we've seen, Paul, we talked about faith a lot in the Roman epistle. God, one thing you want to tick God off about, and one thing you used to tick Jesus off, is a lack of faith. Okay? God is angry about a lack of faith. In fact, the Exodus generation, it says in Hebrews 3.17, to the end of that chapter, God was angry with the Exodus generation. All of them were believers because they lacked faith. You know how they lacked their faith? showed a lack of faith in God, they complained and they were bitter and they were worried. Oh, is God going to take care of me? God is, gets ticked off at that. After a while, he has. It, they should have known because God delivered them from the Egyptian army and all, all, provided for them the whole way and yet they still bitched and complained at God and Moses. In fact, they went after Moses and they attacked Moses and God said, don't worry, they, they're going after me, not you. And see, Moses never took it personally. And they were actually complaining to God. So we see that unbelief is very... God does not uh, think too highly of unbelief. He does not like it. And we see that Jesus was angry a lot of times with a righteous indignation about the unbelief of many people when he gave... He performed miracles and they still wouldn't believe that he was the Messiah. His own Jewish countrymen. In fact, he was so excited when he saw somebody with faith and it was a Gentile. Uh, the Roman centurion. He said, my servant is, uh, is sick and dying. Can you just heal him? And Jesus said, I'll come to heal him. And, Jesus, and the guy said, don't go there. Uh, just say the word and my, and my servant will be healed. You don't have to travel all the way to my house. And Jesus just turned around and said, never have I seen such faith in the house of Israel. 
a Gentile had more faith than the people in the house of Israel. That's, see, if you want to really impress God, have faith in him. Tr- trust in him that he will take care of you. You want to get on God's bad side? Show no faith in him. It's something very important we need to say, especially as us. God saved us from our greatest enemy, the eternal lake of fire in our sins. So if he's done that greatest thing, don't you think he could pay your phone bill? Don't you think he could take care of this church? Then he could provide the finances for the church? Don't you think he could do take care of your home, your families? But if we worry and be anxious about stuff, we're showing we're out of we're not trusting God, we're out of fellowship. So Paul's saying, the in the disobedient in Judea, the people who are in unbelief, the Jews who rejected Christ would not have faith in him, they wanted to kill Paul. They were involved in violence and lying about Paul and vilifying him and persecuting him, that's another manifestation of those indi- of individuals who are not operating in faith and not trusting God. Now, when, uh, we see here, if you go look at, um, in Romans fifteen thirty one, he says, that I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. So that word, apithel, translated disobedient, that particular word is used here in Romans fifteen thirty one to describe the unbelief of the Jews in Israel in the first century. And which unbelief manifested itself in the rejection of Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Thus, they, they rejected the gospel in Judea as well, from the apostles, what they taught. Now, and it says in Judea. That is a prepositional phrase composed of the preposition N. And then we have with it, its object is the articulate data form of the, ver, of the noun, euthea, which is translated in your Bibles correctly, Judea. Now, this word means uh, Judea, and it was... was uh, which was the Greek and Roman designation of the land of Judah. So when they, the Romans and the Greeks, they called this land of uh, Judah, Judea. So it's actually a Greek and Roman designation. Judea comprised, what about Judea? When we talk about Judea, what was it? What was, it a, what was the history of it? Judea comprised the southern half of Palestine in pre-exilic times, covering an area of approximately 2,000 square miles but this was reduced during the Persian period to the small area around Jerusalem. Now, the Maccabean state, prior to the, the New Testament being written, uh, there was the Maccabeans, and they were a, a group of individuals that were a bunch of freedom fighters, and they made sure that Judea became a state independent. They fought a couple of wars. Now, the Maccabean state encompassed nearly all of Palestine, but was governed by a smaller Judea along with Samaria and Galilee. Now, Judea, under Herod's son Archelaus, included Idumea and Samaria, but not Galilee and Perea. Uh, and also, after Archelaus, Judea became a part of the Roman province of Syria, and it was re- ruled by procurators appointed by Rome. So when Rome came in, they took Judea, and that was one of the reasons why you read the Gospels, that the Jews were all hoping that Jesus was going to deliver them from the Romans. They wanted to get the Romans out of there. And the Romans took it over, and they actually, at the beginning, they made uh, Judea, and remember, Jerusalem is in that area, Judea. It, they made Judea, the Romans did, they, were, they, they put it as a third-rate province. They made it a third-rate province, and they actually put it under the Roman province of Syria. They presided over the same area as Archelaus, but from Caesarea, these individuals. Josephus used the term Judea in a broad political sense, and so does the Greek New Testament. Now, during our Lord's first advent, 2,000 years ago, it, Judea, continued to be ruled by Roman, a Roman procurator and, uh, who served under the proconsul of Syria, who resided in Antioch. 
So the economy, what was about the economy about Judea? It was pastoral, and it was supplemented by the production of grapes and olives, which were the principal crops of the highlands. So they made their money from these crops, grapes and olives, and it was a pastoral economy. It was always economically, Judea was, always economically dependent upon the revenues generated by Jerusalem, and the concentration of the population in Judea was primarily in Jerusalem. So this is where Paul ended up in. He was delivered from these Jews who were in this region called Judea, which I gave you a little broad little summary about Judea and what it was all about. And Jerusalem was the center of Judea. And this is, of course, this is the the place where the violence was concentrated against Paul, where he delivered this gift from the Macedonian churches and Achaean churches to the poor Jewish, Jewish saints and he wanted to be delivered from the disobedient Jews, Jews who rejected Jesus and the gospel. Paul prayed that the Roman believers, asked the Roman believers to pray for him so he'd be delivered. So we saw in the book of Acts this evening, that prayer was answered. And therefore, here's the application. When you are involved in a dangerous situation, a difficult situation, maybe you are in, there's a financial problem, maybe there's a health problem, maybe your life is on the line, maybe you're in a, in a, different, in a different, I don't know who's listening to my voice, maybe you're in a difficult situation like Pastor Azam over there in, uh, in Pakistan, and they, deli- they de- delivered him, they had to fly him out to Australia because they wanted to kill him, the Muslims wanted to kill him. So, and, and there are people that get a go to our website and come from places like Africa or listen in Pakistan and the Philippines where they're, they're, for these people who their lives are being threatened because they believe in Jesus Christ, pray, pray that God will deliver you. He delivered Paul. He delivered many believers throughout history like David he, and he will deliver you. Those, that's primarily for those people who listen to us in other parts of the world who are persecuted because they believe in Jesus Christ. So let's wrap this up. Uh, to summarize Romans Uh, To summarize what we learned here this evening, we noted in verse 30 of Romans 15, Paul requests the Romans pray for him on the basis of their common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as on the basis of the divine love produced by the Spirit. He He requested that the Romans fight together with him by means of their prayers and the presence of the Father on his behalf. And then we saw this evening, he presents the first purpose for appealing to his readers to intercede in prayer on his behalf, namely that he would be rescued from harm and death from those who are uh, disobedient or, as we saw, unbelieving in the gospel in Judea. And that, we saw in the book of Acts, was answered. And there's a little map of Judea, but I'm not going to bother showing it to you. We run out of time. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would challenge us with the things that we've heard, instruct us in righteousness, encourage us, and build us up spiritually, that we would uh, go to you in prayer for deliverance, just like Paul solicited the prayers of the Roman believers, that he might be delivered from the disobedient in Judea, and we know that that prayer was answered, as your word states to us. So therefore, help us to, to trust you, that you, so, you delivered Paul from certain death, and we know that if you could do that, you could take care of the phone bill, the financial problems, the health issues that we have, because we know that you delivered us from our greatest enemies, sin, Satan, and the cosmic system, and the eternal condemnation of the lake of fire. So we know that we've been delivered from that through your son's death and resurrection, so help us to put the little spiritual logic into this, Father, that you will take care of us in this church and us as individuals. If you could do the greater, you can definitely do the lesser. So, Father, we pray that the Spirit would uh, give us uh, traveling mercies on the way home and also the fellowship after church, after the service, would be guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.